the crank that made the revolution. Nowadays Cessnock is a heavily built upon part of industrial Glasgow, but 273 years ago you would have seen something very different. You would have seen a swamp with a duck pond in the middle and a few wretched hovels round the edge. The inmates of these hovels earned a living by knitting caps and mufflers for the inhabitants of Glasgow who, even then, wore almost nothing else. The money got from this back-breaking industry was pitifully inadequate. Old Cessnock was neither beautiful nor healthy. The only folk living there were too old or twisted by rheumatism to move out. Yet this dismal and uninteresting hamlet saw the beginning of that movement which historians call the Industrial Revolution. For here, in 1707, was born Vague McMenemy, inventor of the crankshaft which made the revolution possible. There are no records to suggest that Vague McMenemy had parents. From his earliest days he seems to have lived with his granny upon a diet of duck eggs and the proceeds of the old lady's knitting. A German biographer has suggested that McMenemy's first name, Vague, was a nickname. The idea, of course, is laughable. No harder-headed, clear-sighted individual than McMenemy ever existed, as his crankshaft proves. The learned Herr Professor is plainly ignorant of the fact that Vague is the Gaelic for Alexander. Yet it must be confessed that Vague was an introvert. While other boys were chasing the lasses or stoning each other, he would stand for long hours on the edge of the duck pond, wondering how to improve his granny's ducks. Now, considered mechanically, a duck is not an efficient engine, for it has been designed to perform three wholly different and contradictory tasks, and consequently it does none of them outstandingly well. It flies, but not as expertly as a swallow, vulture or aeroplane. It swims, but not like a porpoise. It walks about, but not like you or me, for its legs are too short. Imagine a household appliance devised to shampoo carpets, mash potatoes and darn holes in socks whenever it feels like it. A duck is in a similar situation, and this made ducks offensive to McMenemy's dourly practical mind. He thought that since ducks spend most of their days in water, they should be made to do it efficiently. With the aid of a friendly carpenter, he made a boat-shaped container into which a duck was inserted. There was a hole at one end through which the head stuck out, allowing the animal to breathe, see and even eat. Nevertheless, it protested against the confinement by struggling to get out, and in doing so its wings and legs drove the cranks which conveyed motion to a paddle wheel on each side. On its maiden voyage the duck zigzagged around the pond at a speed of thirty knots, which was three times faster than the maximum speed which the boats and ducks of the day had yet attained. McMenemy had converted a havering all-rounder into an efficient specialist. He was not yet thirteen years of age.
He did not stop there. If this crankshaft allowed one duck to drive a vessel three times faster than normal, how much faster would two, three or ten ducks drive it? McMenemy decided to carry the experiment as far as he could take it. He constructed a craft to be driven by every one of his granny's seventeen ducks. It differed from the first vessel in other ways. The first had been a conventional boat shape, propelled by paddles and constructed from wood. The second was cigar-shaped, with a screw propeller at the rear, and McMenemy did not order it from the carpenter, but from the blacksmith. It was made of sheet iron. Without the seventeen heads and necks sticking up through holes in the hull, would have mistaken it for a modern submarine. This is a fact worth pondering. A hundred years elapsed before the Charlotte Dundas, the world's first paddle steamer, clanked along the Forth and Clyde Canal from Bowling. Fifty years after that, the first ironclad, strew-driven warship fired its first shot in the American Civil War. In two years, the imagination of a humble cottage lad had covered ground which the world's foremost engineers took two generations to traverse in the following century. Vague was fifteen years old when he launched his second vessel. Quacking hysterically, it crossed the pond with such velocity that it struck the opposite bank at the moment of departure from the near one. Had it struck soil, it would have embedded itself. And luckily it hit the root of a tree, rebounded to the centre of the pond, overturned and sank. Every single duck was drowned. In terms of human achievement, McMenemy's duck boat ranks with Leonardo da Vinci's helicopter, which was designed 400 years before the engine which could have made it fly. Economically, it was disastrous. Deprived of her ducks, McMenemy's granny was compelled to knit faster than ever. She sat in her rocking chair, knitting and rocking and rocking and knitting, and McMenemy sat opposite, brooding on what he could do to help. He noticed that the muscular energy his granny used to handle the needles was no greater than the energy she used to rock the chair. His granny, in fact, was two sources of energy, one above the waist and one below, and only the upper source brought in money. If the power of her legs and feet could be channeled into the knitting, she would work twice as fast, and his crankshaft made this possible. And so McMenemy built the world's first knitting frame, later nicknamed McMenemy's Knitting Granny. Two needles, each a yard long, were slung from the kitchen ceiling so that the tips crossed at the correct angle. The motion was conveyed through crankshafts hinged to the rockers of a cast-iron rocking chair mounted on rails below. McMenemy's granny, furiously rocking it, had nothing to do with her hands but steer the woolen coils through the intricacies of pearl and plain. When the McMenemies came to display their stock of caps and mufflers on a barrow in Glasgow's Barrowland that year, the strongest knitters in the west of Scotland, brawny, big-muscled men of thirty and thirty-five, 
but astonished to see that old Mrs. McMenemy had manufactured twice as much as they had. Vague, however, was modest enough to know that his his appliance was improvable. The power generated by a rocking chair is limited, for it swings through a very flattened arc. His second knitting frame was powered by a seesaw. His granny was installed on one end with the needles mounted in front of her. Hitherto Vague had avoided operating his inventions himself, but now he courageously vaulted into the other end and set the mighty beam swinging up and down, up and down, with velocity enabling his granny to turn out no less than 890 caps and mufflers a week. At the next Glasgow fair she brought to market as much produce as the other knitters put together, and was able to sell at half the normal price and still make a handsome profit. The other inhabitants of Cessnock were unable to sell their goods at all. With the desperation of starving men, they set fire to the McMenemy cottage and the machinery inside it. Vague and his granny were forced to flee across the swamp, leaving their hard-earned gold to melt among the flames. They fled to the borough of Paisley and placed themselves under the protection of the provost, and from that moment their troubles were at an end. In 1727, Paisley was fortunate in having, as provost, an unusually enlightened philanthropist, Sir Hector Coates, no relation to the famous thread manufacturers of the following century. He was moved by McMenemy's story and impressed by his dedication. He arranged for Vague to superintend the construction of a large knitting mill containing no less than 20 beam-balanced knitting frames. Not only that, he employed Vague and his granny to work one of them. For the next ten years, Vague spent 14 hours a day, six days a week, swinging up and down on the opposite end of the beam from the woman who had nourished and inspired him. It is unfortunate that he had no time to devote to scientific invention, but his only holidays were on a Sunday, and Sir Hector was a good Christian who took stern measures against workmen who broke the Sabbath. At the age of thirty, vague McMenemy, overcome by vertigo, fell off the seesaw never to rise again. Strangely enough, his granny survived him by twenty-two years, toiling to the last at the machine which had been named after her. Her early days in the rocking chair had no doubt prepared her for just such an end, but she must have been a remarkable old lady. Thirty is not an advanced age, and Vague's achievement was crowded into seven years between the ages of twelve and nineteen. In that time he invented the paddle boat and the ironclad, dealt a death blow to the cottage knitting industry, and laid the foundation of the Scottish textile trade. When Arkwright, Cartwright, Wainwright and Watt completed their own machines, McMenemy's crankshaft was in every one of them. Truly, he was a crank that made the revolution possible.